we started a series last week called Matters of the Heart. And we looked at some different things uh, from the Bible about, you know, the heart. And we're going to keep looking at that. Now, we're believers. I mean, most people are, you know, that are here probably have given their life to the Lord. So the Bible said we're a new creation. The Bible said we're the temple individually of the living God. The Bible said we're in good standing with God because of Christ. The list goes on and on. You actually, if you've given your life to the Lord, he gave his life in you. You're not the same person you used to be in spirit. You are created holy. You are created loved. You are watched out for. I mean, God is for you. And those things are absolutely true. But really, even though we're made new in spirit, our heart or the core of us determines the actions. How many people have, you know, after you got saved, went, man, there is something different in my life, and it's God. You know what I mean? It's God. But what happens is this, you have God in your life, but your heart is going to determine your actions. Let me say that again. Your heart is going to determine your actions. What happens is, is this, that with your actions, with your actions, what happens is there's a driving force from within. Even though God may prompt you, God may deal with you, God may work in you, you still have to line your heart up with God and line your heart up with His will. I wish it wasn't that way. Sorry. Meaning, in other words, you just give your life to the Lord and everything is perfect. Everything works out wonderfully. Everything just, you know, there's never any opposition, never anything trying to pull you a different way. But I know this, you can overcome. You can live victorious. You have great things in the Lord. And so we're going to talk about the heart or matters of the heart. Jesus often directed people's actions to what was in their heart. Amen? And, and today, there are different viewpoints. We'll, you'll hear this type of talk. You can't judge my heart. Nobody's ever heard that? You, you don't know what's in my heart. Well, after a while, we can kind of see what's in our own heart by what we're doing, how we treat people, how we respond to God, and all these things are an issue of the heart. And we read a verse, and we're not going to read it again, in Proverbs that said, the boundaries of our life or the borders of our life are determined by how things are in our heart and how they come out. And so we're going to look at some of these things uh, today and how to get things properly situated in our heart. Most of us know it's important to have your closet in order. If you don't have that revelation yet, uh, you probably are slow getting out of the house. Okay? But you get that situated, life changes. Get your garage situated, life changes. 
Amen. If your garage is not that neat, you probably have multiple tools that are the same. You know why that is? I couldn't find the other one. I just go buy another one. And there's one over here, I think, and there's one over here. And I so we're giving effort and energy into things that if it was just placed correctly, we'd be better off. And so sometimes, you know, people are giving extra effort trying to keep their life together when if they could deal with things at a heart level, even though God's working in them to will and to do of his good pleasure, how many people have been conflicted? You with me? The Bible said that. He works in every believer to will. It means there's a want and a willingness to do of his good pleasure. There isn't a Christian that deep down inside doesn't want to do God's best and go for it all the way. Probably deep down in your spirit, everyone would be willing to be a martyr. Now, people are here going, uh-uh. No, I said deep down in your spirit. We'd be willing to do anything for the Lord, even if it was being a martyr. But when our heart is like, but wait a minute, you know, I still have that cruise I'm going to be going on. I already put a deposit. You mean be a martyr now? Like, No, we would be if we would do things with our heart. And I'm not saying you can't go on a cruise, but... Psalm 138, I'm not going to have you turn there, uh, 138 verse 2 in the majority standard Bible said, I bow down toward your holy temple and I give thanks to your name for your loving devotion and your faithfulness you have exalted. In other words, he worshiped because of this. And then it says this, you have exalted your name and your word above all else. Now I'm going to say this, our heart attitude toward this book or that app that has the book in your phone or tablet or whatever, your attitude and my attitude and the world's attitude toward this book is the basis for how we're going to walk with God and how successful we'll be on this earth until the Lord comes or we leave. I mean, it is flat right here. I mean, there is nothing bigger in this room, so to speak. I mean, I understand we as humans are the apple of God's eye, but when it comes to, you know, how we're going to function in this life, this is the basis. Now, if it worked out that you just put this in your pillow and it like seeps into your head, that would be awesome. But it doesn't work like that. I know I tried. No, I didn't try. But literally, we need to realize that that verse said, you have exalted your name and your word above all else. Above what? All else. So what is more important than the word? Nothing. You can't find anything. Now understand this. To humans, there are many things that are more important than the Bible. Tons of things. 
I mean, even for some Christians, in their spirit, they know the Bible, yeah. But in their heart, they're like, well, there's some other things that are a little more important. But we're talking about God said he exalted. He exalted. That means to place at the highest rank, the highest power, to raise to supreme majesty his word and his name. And one, our different translations don't say his word and his name. It actually says he magnified his word above his name. Because you can't even know his word without, or know his name without his word. So if he is exalted to this, to the highest position, how many of you know, regardless, um, that doesn't mean everybody has seen it that way. It's a big difference. Not everybody sees it the way he sees it. Not everybody has exalted it the way he has exalted it. So you need to understand there's two, two things going on here. There's the way he exalted it, and there's the way that individuals exalt it. And you know, that can be so different uh, just the person next to you, or the people, we're sitting here and there's people driving on the street out there, they can all have different viewpoints. They can all have this settled different in their own heart. Even though God has put it at the highest place, how many of you know there's people out there right now that, think, that maybe see all the cars in the parking lot and they're like, what in the world, that's the stupidest thing. But the only reason they think that is because they haven't exalted God's word. Now understand this, it's deception to place something out of order with God. In other words, if he's exalted his word and they don't, then they're deceived. You get what I'm saying? If, if he's put it up there, but I haven't put it up there, I, I'm, I need to make a change. You with me? Because we're talking about matters of the heart and what will make for a successful time on the earth and fix eternity, so to speak, for us. But it doesn't come, you know, just, you know, haphazardly like, well, yeah, you know, the Lord Jesus. It comes when in my own heart and in our own heart, we start making the word supreme or exalted. And we need to understand the Bible is called the holy book. It's a holy thing. The Bible talks about his word being holy, the holy scriptures. And we need to know something that's holy is sacred. You know, in society today, as we move along, there are some places where certain things were sacred and now they're not anymore. But here's the thing, just because certain things are not sacred does not mean they're not sacred. And something that's sacred is something that's to be like, whoa, treated real special. When I grew up, you know, you treated, whether you went to church or you knew God, you treated the church or the Bible as something of value. 
You knew it was inherent in the roots of our society. Today, it's not sacred to people, but how many of you understand just because it's not sacred to people doesn't mean it's not? You know, the Bible talks like this. The Bible said in Hebrews, the fifth chapter and then into the sixth, he talks about people trampling underfoot the blood of Christ. That it is no respect. They count it as an unholy thing, but how many of you know, we saw last week that the blood of Christ is called precious. And we determine by looking at definitions and different things, things that are precious have tremendous value. And if the blood is precious, why is it precious? Because if it wasn't precious, you know, we talk about precious metals. Why, are, why is dirt not considered a precious metal? Because it's just everywhere. doesn't have any value. But the more precious something is, the greater value there is. Now understand this, when we talk about the word being precious, his blood being precious, we're talking like this, we're talking huge value. What would make the blood, what would make the word so valuable and that we should determine this in our heart that it should be this way? Well, if you could just get a handful of dirt and go buy something, it doesn't make dirt very valuable, you know, or it would be valuable, but it's everywhere. The less of something there is, the more valuable it becomes. And that's like, you know, with, you know, certain precious metals or certain diamonds. Diamonds would be worthless if they were everywhere on the ground. Think of how precious God's word is and how precious the blood is. There is no other way to pray, pay for salvation. There's no other thing in all the world that can ransom somebody for eternity. That makes it super precious. And what makes the word so precious is it shows you the way of everything. And not only does it show you the way of everything, what makes it precious is the scripture in 2 Timothy says, all scripture, all of it was given. But here's how it was given. It was given by God. So how valuable is something that's given by God? It has to be the highest. In other words, I can give you my opinion, you can give me your opinion, but there's an opinion that's higher. Period. Flat out. Whether I realize it or not, and I can argue against his opinion, but his opinion is the highest thing. And that's how I have to settle it. I have to realize it's holy. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis, the third chapter. We're going to read a few verses here talking about getting the word of God settled in our heart. You know, the greatest miracles that happened in the Bible happened because of how people treated God's word. Are you with me? How many people? And here's what's so wild. From Genesis, like somebody said, to maps, you know, the book of Revelation, in other words, all the way to the maps in the back of your book, you'll find that how people treated the word 
was how God was able to move in their life or how things became chaotic in their life. Are you with me? Genesis, the third chapter, we're going to begin reading in the first verse. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now notice what, what this whole temptation is about. What, what it comes down to. As God said? As God said? Let's just tweak what God said. Did he really say that? And he, and he goes on to say, and the woman said uh, to the serpent uh, what God, or what she thought God said, we may eat of the fruit of the tree, trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then it goes on, verse 4. Then the serpent, then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. You won't die. God said you'll die. I'm telling you, you're not going to. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. In other words, it won't affect you. Verse 5, For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable uh, to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and ate, she gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So you can see this story right here. They're both sitting there uh, near this tree. They probably shouldn't even have been near. I'm not, God didn't tell them don't get near it, but let me just tell you something. If you're tempted with something, don't get near it. Don't go near it if you're struggling with temptation. Yeah, the Lord delivered me from alcohol. Then the, the devil will tell you if you're struggling, you need to go back into the bars and witness to everybody. I've been around long enough, I've heard people say that very thing. You, no, you don't. There's a lot more other people that, aren't, that are lost and that need Jesus that aren't in bars. When you're strong, go back. But then you'll find that maybe that's not where I need to go. Okay, got real quiet. But what am I saying? I'm saying that, you know, they were near something they shouldn't have been near. I mean, it would have just been better to be in a different place of the garden. Then, then they wouldn't have been staring at the tree. Because didn't they... Didn't they didn't it say, I mean, basically, what was described here is what's described in 1 John, where it says, you know, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, it's all tangled up right there. And they looked, I mean, they looked, and it looked good. 
why do I need to look at something if God said, don't touch that? Look how good it looks. Yeah, but I don't need to be tempted. But God had told them, don't eat of this. The enemy is compromising, trying to compromise them. Here's what's so wild about this. And you'll hear this today in the church world, and maybe it's promoted, and and we just need to be careful. Maybe we think this way sometimes. What happened to them was they didn't have a now word. You know, it's real common, and I'm not against this, you know, at the first of the year. What is God telling you? Well, that's cool. Okay, great. But what if God told you something else six months ago and we just kind of haven't done anything with that? This keeps getting quieter and quieter in here. Do I need a now word? Does a now word or something fresh make it more vital, more living, and more alive? They had an old word. They had a word where, where Eve didn't say, oh, I feel goosebumps right now. I can't touch that because I, I remember the word I got. But here's the, here's the issue. Adam was the one, it seems, because it doesn't say Eve was there when God said don't touch it. Go back and read. She hadn't been created yet, taken out and made. And so once God said, don't eat it, now he, Adam falls into a deep sleep. So he's got the word. He knows. And we don't know how much time has passed since they got that word, but obviously Adam had passed it on to them. You know, we've got a book that's been passed on to us. And she was like, well, you know, she's wishy-washy about the book. And because she wasn't magnifying the word she had, because it was kind of old. But think about it. If it's old or new, it's still true. Right? And some people are wanting something that's new, and they're missing what's true. And the Word of God was written a couple thousand years ago. Sorry, I didn't help you on that rhyme there. Um, but, but they're looking and they're thinking, well, I need a new word. I need something that thrills me internally and causes me to go, woo, that's God. Hey, His written word is Him. And they are about to learn this, that something that was spoken, that was passed on, People were inspired by God, wrote the word of God. It's just as big as when Adam told Eve, and then later on they got into life, and there were all these contrary thoughts, and they didn't lift up what God had said, and now they're hearing something new, and they're thinking, what is this in the day you eat of it, you will die? It was what happened was their spirits became separated from God, and the life of God that was in them uh, was gone. That's what Christ came to give us. And they were thinking, you know, no big deal. 
they were they weren't thinking that his word is just as powerful without goosebumps just because he said it. Just because there's a scripture that covers the situation, we don't need goosebumps. We need to go, whoa, that's important. He said it. If he said he lives in me, I don't need to sense him living in me. Though it's great when I recognize and he's witnesses and to me. But he said, I'll never leave you. But how many songs and everything do we speak contrary to what he said? Because we do this, come Holy Spirit. Where'd he go? He came with me and he's leaving with me. And if you're saved, he came with you and he's leaving with you. The problem is we're esteeming our feelings more than what his word said. If we esteemed his word and counted it as a great treasure, we'd say, man, God's been with me my whole life. Meaning since I got saved. He's been with me and he hasn't left me. Now, I may not acknowledge him. I may not have my mind on him. I may not meditate on him because the Bible said if I'll keep my mind on him, you know, then he'll keep me in divine heavenly peace. So, so then I am a contributing factor in how I experience God as a believer. You know, years ago, a number of years ago, you used to hear this term, you can practice the presence of the Lord. And the idea was, you know, you could praise him, you could thank him, but the key was, do you keep your mind on him? Because all they were saying was, they were making a fancy statement based on a real written truth. But that real written truth isn't always experienced as reality even though it is because people don't keep their mind on the Lord. Amen. I'll, I'll say it. Because I, I knew people wanted to. They just, you know, they needed to be helped along. So here Adam and Eve are working off some old word, some old word. Now they're hearing a new thing that's contrary, and they both ate. They both ate. Notice verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened. God told them this is going to happen. They didn't believe it. They didn't believe his word. Why? Because maybe they didn't have goosebumps right then. Maybe it wasn't God speaking it to them again. They just had it written down like, you know, on a three-by-five card or a little plaque or something. I don't know. Maybe they just passed it on to each other. Remember, don't eat that. Yeah, God said that. But it's not the flashy new thing. But how many of you know it's still the true thing? And look what happened. Then their eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig trees, uh, fig not fig trees, that would have been a miracle too, fig leaves together. That would be a whole nother story right there. Fig leaves together and made them for themselves covering. So they're covering themselves up. What happened was they became very self-conscious. One of the keys about walking with God and getting eternal life 
is not to be self-conscious, but to become God-conscious. Because when we become more God-conscious, we're not self-conscious, and self and selfish stuff is where the majority of problems are. How many problems happen at a gas station when it's crowded? Anybody go to Costco gas? Problems. But you see the signs? It says self, self, at gas stations. You didn't catch that. Because self-serve. But in all reality, selfishness is where the trouble is. You don't have to write that joke down because obviously... Praise the Lord. But selfishness is where it's at. But here's why people are selfish. They're turned in upon themselves. They're not turned looking to the Lord. They're not esteeming his word and thinking his way is the biggest. Amen. Now notice this. They were working off an old word. Was that old word true? Is the Bible still true? Oh, yeah. Whether I treat it like it's something huge or not, God treats it like it is. And they didn't treat it the right way, and so here's what happens. And they, verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord. Uh-oh. Now they hear a fresh word from the Lord. Now they're hearing the Lord afresh. This isn't the context where you want to hear the Lord fresh. Oh, I like hearing the Lord, just a fresh word. I think they would have been real pleased to just add that old written down or old memorized statement. Don't eat. Don't do this because this is going to affect your life. But how many of you know you get past some of those present feelings of woohoo? You just have to realize God has esteemed his word. But now God's going to give them a new word because they've got a new sound. You know, they talk about a new sound. God's got a new sound. Sometimes we don't want to hear that new sound. They didn't want, I guarantee they would rather have not heard this new sound. Oh, yeah, this. I mean, if I was there and I hadn't eaten, I'd have said, I ain't, I'm not going to be by you guys. Look at this. And they heard the sound of the Lord. But here's the problem. They had heard the sound of the Lord. It just wasn't as flashy as this sound. Which would you rather go by? We know this, so we're like, I'd just rather the other. But how many people gravitate toward the explosive? And there's nothing wrong with all that stuff and with God dealing with us and his word coming alive in us. That stuff's all great. But in this context, it would have served them way better to have just stuck with the written word that wasn't all flashy, you know, stuck with what God had said instead of something new. Because when they took up this new idea, and this is where really all the challenges are in the earth right now, is all around the functioning of how people esteem the word of God. Period. Because that's where you'll find the roots go back to. 
Are you with me? You know, I was going to say something, but I'm not. Maybe I should. The earth isn't going to run out of oxygen. The earth is not going to run out of food before the Lord comes back. But godless people need to be saved, but people are like, oh, we're going we're gonna to do something and we're going to jack this whole thing up. Now, we can ruin stuff. Launch a couple nuclear bombs and stuff. But he, God created the earth so it would reproduce if we would do the right thing. If I use the wrong deodorant, I am not going to destroy the ozone. Just someday I might get rebellious and go out in my backyard with nobody looking and go, You know, they used to believe that. Now they found that the ozone is actually grows and shrinks and it's, and it's closed up. When I was younger, we had, you can go find these videos on YouTube, you know, and they would say the science shows. And there was, we were going to have a goal, global freezing. Anybody remember that? A new ice age. I mean, if you lived in Montana, Washington, we were going to have ski slopes right here. We'd be livable, they'd be all dead. Now it's completely the opposite. I'm not trying to mock it, and, but I'm just saying, what do we exalt the most? Man, everybody on earth needs to get saved. And I'm not saying there aren't literal sciences, but I am saying his God didn't create this thing so that all of a sudden, you know, before he comes back, we're all dead. And he comes back, he's like, where, where are they? We need to be about our business, and our business is the lost, and telling people, and building the kingdom, and occupying till he comes. Are you with me? Notice this. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, a lot of times people hear a fresh word and they think that is awesome. But, but what about the true word? One thing they learned that day was this. If God said it, it's so. And I know this is a negative experience, but at the same time, if the word is true on the negative, it has to be true on the positive. It has to be. You know, in other words, to have the negative come to pass, you don't have to go, woo, the word said this, I'm going to rebel. No, the same way is true on the positive. If he promised it, I don't have to have goosebumps. All I need is something that's written. And that's where I need to be in my heart. Let's go to Matthew 4, and we're going to close up here. Matthew, the fourth chapter, and the third and fourth verse. Think, think about this. How, how does God look at his word? If he exalted his word, then all I should do is cooperate with my heart and exalt the word internally and count it as the most valuable thing around so he said oh the holy spirit is well i don't know about the holy spirit unless i have his word are you with me oh somebody said oh salvation is the most important thing 
well, I understand you can't go to heaven without it, but it said, how can you be saved unless somebody preaches? And, and what they preach is the word. So it's the basis, and believers need to esteem it, even if nobody else does, because God has put it up there. In other words, we're not misguided by doing it, even though people would say you're misguided, they're misguided for trying to pull us from our steady position. But we won't be moved. Are you with me? Matthew, the fourth chapter, and notice this. Jesus was tempted. The devil's still been about the same business in the book of Genesis to the end. He's called the accuser of the brethren, but how many of you know we can overcome him every single time because God's for us and his word is true and the blood has bought us and we're not debtors to him. Are you with me? Here Jesus is in Matthew 4 verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, if, call into question who you are, God doesn't love you. Who do you think you are? No, God loves you. You're not forgiven. Remember when you did that? No, God's blood washed you. Oh, that scripture won't work for you. No, it will work for you. Just realize who's talking. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, I was thinking about this the other day. No, he didn't say that. He answered and said, you know, I have this good idea. You know, some people told me. No, he said, it is written. What was Jesus doing? He had the word of God so esteemed in his heart. He knew the standard of life and how things operated. And he knew where, you know, the, the right line of, things are he knew it was in the word so he said it is written in other words that's the level i'm staying at it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of god i'm going to ask you a question if you're familiar with this verse you know jesus was being tempted anybody ever been tempted before a lot of head shakes. Everybody's been tempted. If you're a believer, don't think it's strange. Don't think you're something wrong with you. The Bible said in this world we'll have tests and trials, tribulation. But be of good cheer because the Lord overcame for us. How many of you know Jesus is being tempted? There's a commercial that's gone on. It might still be out there where uh, somebody turns into somebody else like you know, some guys are playing football, and all of a sudden this guy turns into Betty White, and it starts nagging him. And they eat like a snicker bar, and it turns them back to themselves, and they're like, you're not yourself. I'm telling you, when you're hungry, aren't people, you know, when they're in the line to go to the restaurant, they're like, ah. When they're leaving, they're like, ah. This there's a difference. Jesus was in the line to eat. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. So do you think he was just like, woo, that word of God. 
No, he just esteemed the word of God. He knew it was true regardless of how he felt and what he was going through. He knew it was God's standard. So he just said, hey, listen, it is written, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Right when he was hungry. You know, right in the middle of wherever we're at, whatever we're going through, we need to know God's word works. And we don't have to have a special goosebump, and they're great when we have them, but that cannot be up there at the level with the word. If I don't have a goosebump, if I don't have this, woo, the word is still true. And as we move forward, the reason why, you know, in praying about these things and to start, this has to be the core of the matters of the heart. Is prophecy great? Yes. Is getting a word great? Yes. But it can only be, at best, second to the written word. It can only be second to the written word. Because otherwise, people will get off and get squirrely. And we know that we're warned about that in these last days. So if anybody will just take their stand on the written word of God... It doesn't matter how you feel, the word will work. I mean, you can just find some dry old scripture. How many of you know they're not dry? It just hadn't been squeezed. Because, you know, you may look at a lemon and go, this thing, what is, what's this? Squeeze it, and something's in it. The word is alive and powerful. So we need to esteem it that way.